So just for those who are listening who might not be familiar with Mongo, can you give a like a 10-second, what is a jumbo chunk? So basically, when you start inserting a lot of data and MongoDB doesn't really figure out that you inserted a lot of data uh, and it all goes into the same chunk, then it will grow past the size of the chunk, which is 64 megabytes by default. And that will cause the balancer to not move that chunk anymore. So it's just a a lot of data that is there and, and MongoDB doesn't touch it anymore. So if you want to move that around to a different shard, for example, then it's problematic because it's a big piece of data, right? So you want to avoid that uh, most of the time. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Haas Talks Foss. I'm here with Ivan Gromwald this, today from Percona, and we're here to talk about Ivan and his career, what he's done at Percona, uh, the MongoDB ecosystem, and all the fun things in the database space. Ivan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, Ivan, you've been in the, uh, the, the, the database space for quite some time now, right? Uh, maybe tell everybody a little bit about you. Sure. So I started my career actually as a security administrator. So in the IT security department, that's uh, unusual. Like most people start like as a DBA or something, but yeah, I did a couple of years as a security administrator first. Um, eventually, the company I was working for at the time uh, had a position in the IT department. So I moved over. And that's where I started to become familiar with you know, servers, networking, uh, cabling stuff. Uh, We did pretty much everything uh, related to hardware and provisioning and so on. We even had a really cool project where we had to start a data center in a new building from scratch and move everything we had over uh, to this new building, which was quite uh, complex, but also it was a really good project to be involved in. Um, so yeah, after a couple of years working as a sysadmin, I moved again because there was a position in the database team that we had outsourced at the time and the company was, uh, they, they wanted to have a, like a, an internal person with, with knowledge, not just to outsource everything. So I moved, uh, over to the Oracle DBA position. Uh, this is back in 2008 or so, so a long time ago. Um, and that was my first contact with databases okay, with the Oracle wow. DB. Um, so yeah, I spent a couple of years there and then eventually I moved over to another company that was an e-commerce company and they were having a mixed environment where there was some Oracle DB, but there were also other open source databases. And that was my first contact with the open source ecosystem. Uh, they were having MySQL at the time. There was a bit of MongoDB. It was earlier versions of MongoDB, like 2.0 or 2.2. If oh, I... wow. That's really old. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's that was ancient. Early, early days. Early uh, days. Yeah. MongoDB had the old MMAP uh, storage engine back in the day, which was memory mapped files. So it's a completely different world from, from the MongoDB we know uh, nowadays. So I spent a couple of years in that company and then eventually moved over to consulting. Um, so after that, I never left the open source ecosystem anymore. So it's been over 10 years uh, 
that I've been doing just open source DBs. I forgot everything about Oracle now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. My so, been that for, for the last 10 years or, or so. So you got involved in the MongoDB ecosystem pretty early on um, when things were still being, being flushed out in terms of the architecture. It was still an early project. It was still considered a quote unquote startup. Um, and now we know it isn't. It's a very established company with a very established technology footprint. Um, what have you seen grow over that time period, right? So how, how has that ecosystem evolved from your perspective? What have you seen uh, growth-wise, maybe some concerns, maybe some, some things that have, have changed or transformed over that time period that you're, uh, you know, was interesting to see? Right. Yeah, I guess from the early days, um, things were, were quite uh, hard. Uh, the MAP search engine was completely different from what we have today with War Tiger, I think that was the biggest transition probably. Um, and map B1 was memory map files. There was a global lock that was like everyone's nightmare at the time. Uh, you wanted to, to avoid this, this global lock as much as you could, but there's not much you could do about it. Uh, so it, it limited a lot the concurrency of the database at the time. I think it's uh, quite similar to what happened with MySQL when at the beginning there was the MyISM search engine and then when InnoDB came over, it was like a revolution. Well, the same happened for MongoDB when they uh, brought WireTiger Tiger over. Um, that, you know, introduced a whole new world of scalability and, and new things for the database. Um, also, you know, Percona started to become involved, so uh, we got now the, the Percona backup for MongoDB, for example, which makes it really easy to have a backup in a shorter environment. Where back in the day, we were dealing with, you know, stopping all of the nodes at a specific point in time, and then like, trying to figure out how to take a snapshot of, of everything at the same time. So we have more tools from the community also that helps make our life easier nowadays. Yeah, and as that ecosystem has grown, you've seen that the use cases for MongoDB have expanded. I've I've often talked about this in the past where I've started to see databases start off with a very specific niche use case almost, right? So it's very specific. It's good at this thing. And then as time goes on, either the community wants more use cases or – companies want more market share. So they start to evolve. And you mentioned WireTiger, for instance, it's taking what was a NoSQL non-transactional system, and it's starting to move into the transactional space, starting to provide things that were never built into the architecture. So as that ecosystem has evolved, more and more people have started to do things in Mongo. I'm curious, what do you see people do in the Mongo space that you're like, why are you using MongoDB for this particular use case? Do you see that? Like where you're like, you scratch your head and go, this is not really a good fit for the database? Yeah, well, I think um, MongoDB is trying to be a general purpose database nowadays. Uh, So it's trying to do what other databases are doing, like for example, transactions. Um, The support for transactions is more or less recent. I think they were introduced around MongoDB 4.0, right? So um, I guess if you really need transactions, uh, perhaps it's a sign that you should be thinking maybe about a traditional relational database. Um, I mean, you can do it but with MongoDB, but it doesn't necessarily mean you, you should be doing it, right? 
right. Maybe it's one of the things that can tell you that maybe you should take a look at other type of technology. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I think like for me, the, the most popular use cases that I always see Mongo like out there in, you know, a lot of SaaS companies, a lot of web, you know, companies with websites that are, that, that have that, you know, native JSON data format that are looking for something that's easy. They're looking for that uh, scalability and that, uh, that ease of use of having the flexibility in the, the document design. Um, and so I, I see that quite often in, in gaming companies, you know, if you're building mobile apps, things like that, it's, it's Mongo is still a very popular use case, but I haven't really seen it evolve into more of uh you know the, the corporate systems as much it's more uh on the other uh you know uh, web app uh you know the, the application side things that are more consumer facing I, I don't know have you have you experienced that as well yeah uh to be honest i haven't seen it for things like um for example financial data uh, i think that is more uh, suitable for a traditional RDBMS like MySQL, for example, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's probably not not very popular, or at least I haven't seen that a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I think that you know, from a Mongo perspective, um, you know, it, it has done a good job of kind of encompassing all these different use cases. And like I mentioned, I, I think the document storage really lends itself well to the web app and the mobile app type design. It, it lends itself well to a certain sort of workload. Um, but I think one of the interesting things that uh, I always scratch my head at is uh, a lot of people adopt Mongo specifically because of that flexibility. And so they say, oh, I don't need a schema. I don't need to think about validation of my schema or things like that. But you really do, don't you? Because as data grows, ensuring that you have some semblance of good data structures and validation, it becomes more important. Yeah, definitely. And this is why also they introduced this schema validation tool eventually into MongoDB, I think, because if, if not, you run the risk of having uh, mixed data that you don't really know what it is. Like there, It can get out of control really quickly. It's one of one strength that you can really uh, add new new fields you know, to documents without any schema changes that are sometimes uh, painful in other databases, but at the same time, that can become really complex and get out of control quickly if you're not careful about maintaining a structure at the very least. Yeah, and I think that that leads to a lot of uh, performance issues. And, and the problem with most databases is you start off, you have a simple application, you have something that's designed to work from uh, the ground up, you know, you test it, you know, you have a few thousand users, everything's fine. But then all of a sudden, you become successful, and you get 100,000 users or a million users, and then everything changes. And a lot of times with the schema validation or the design of the, the, the documents themselves, the indexing strategy, the sharding strategy, it all kind of is fine until you reach a certain inflection point and then you realize, wow, you really screwed up early on and you should have fixed these issues and they become bigger issues, right? Uh, it's something that uh, early on, it, it doesn't seem to impact you, but later on it can really add up, especially at scale. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. 
Yeah. And I think we see that with, you know, some of the newer features in Mongo, uh, for instance, like the, uh, the shard rebalancing, uh, things that they've, they've introduced recently, uh, go directly to try and fix some of those, uh, issues early on. And I, I think that's one of the, the, the key topics. It's always a popular topic at different conferences is, uh, how to choose the right shard key or how to, you know, rebalance your shards, you know, what are the tips and tricks to make that faster? Because when you're talking about, you know, multiple terabytes uh, of data, uh, a shard rebalance is very painful. Yeah. Very, very, very painful. Yeah, we run into that uh, with, with our customers a lot. And um, there's really no easy solution because nowadays the balancer is not super configurable. Uh, so what we end up doing sometimes is doing some manual operations uh, to try and, and do the balancer's job sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think that is one of the areas where uh, development still needs to to do a couple of things to make uh, balancing a bit uh, more configurable, to reduce the impact. And, and another thing is uh, the, the jumbo chunks, okay? Uh, that is really a pain. And um, for that, we also um, run into that uh, with our customers very frequently. I have a few scripts actually that I developed and published in, in the Percona blog to help with the problems with the jumbo chunks. And also earlier versions of MongoDB were um, sometimes having jumbo chunks that become undetected. So you really don't know that you have a jumbo chunk. So, um, in one of these uh, blog articles that I was talking about, there is uh, some instructions for, for dealing with that. And the same is the other way around. When you delete data and then your chunks become empty, there is no way to actually compact them uh, together. So to reduce the number of chunks when you no longer need them. So I have to deal with that problem also and, and talk about it as well. So just for those who are listening who might not be familiar with Mongo, can you give a like a 10-second, what is a jumbo chunk? So basically when you start inserting a lot of data and the MongoDB doesn't really figure out that you inserted a lot of data uh, and it all goes into a, the same chunk, then it will grow past the size of the chunk, which is 64 megabytes by default. And that will cause the balancer to not move that chunk anymore. So it's just a, a lot of data that is there and, and MongoDB doesn't touch it anymore. So if you want to move that around to a different shard, for example, then it's problematic because it's a big piece of data, right? So you want to avoid that uh, most of the time. So it gets pinned in one area and stuck there until you you manually do something to fix it. Right. So, so, so as we talk about like data sizes as they grow, as things evolve, I'm curious, what are the most common issues that you have to deal with, um, with, with, with customers coming and asking for help or working on, you know, uh, systems? Are there, are there common problems that you see over and over again in the Mongo ecosystem that, you know, you really wish people would just stop doing? Um, I don't think there's really a, a mistake of, of people doing it. It's just the way that uh, the database is, is working nowadays. Uh, like scaling up or down the number of shards is, is costly. Like there's a lot of data uh, to be moved around, whether you want to scale up or, or, or scale down. Um, and again, this is the, the balancer's job to, to like do all this chunk management. And I think it's, uh, it needs a bit more work uh, 
because of the, the configuration of the balancer, for example, or the algorithms that it uses, sometimes it can have an impact. So normally you define your balancer window to be during the night when there's the least database activity. However, it can still have a significant impact. So I think there's room for improvement in, in that area. Okay. And I, I think one of the, the issues that I see crop up uh, is, you know, modern environments now, everybody wants their own databases, everyone wants their own setup, which means that, you know, you, you've got systems that are very large, but you also have lots of little systems as well. Uh, so you, you'll have a mixed environment. You might have one database, one you know setup that has you know terabytes of data, but then you might have a thousand small databases for individual applications, individual microservices, individual functions, and that presents quite a challenge. Are you seeing that um, escalation in the Mongo space as well? Yeah, definitely. This this happens in all the databases, and this is why automation is a key thing to get right from from the get go. Um, because otherwise you end up with different uh, MongoDB systems that are configured differently or don't follow the same uh, standards. So uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to manage when you grow. Even though MongoDB has sharding from you know, built-in, um, when you start growing the number of shards, it becomes really complex and you start easily going into the hundreds of servers without even noticing. So um, it's critical to have good automation and also monitoring, right? And that's where PMM kind of comes to, to, to help you, right? Yeah, and I mean, that automation comes in many different forms. And I think that, you know, there, there's always different tools out there. You have a talk coming up on Ansible and Terraform at Percona Live, but we also see the growth of Kubernetes as a deployment mechanism to deploy uh, MongoDB. Uh, we have an operator ourselves to help with uh, facilitate that. Uh, but those aren't the only deployment tools and uh, infrastructure uh, and orchestration tools that are out there. Uh you know, do you have a preference? Is there something that you prefer? I mean, I know you're talking about Terraform and Ansible because you did it, uh, but have you gotten into the, the, the Kubernetes side? Are there other tools that you see that are really popular out there? Well, I had a chance to try the operator a couple of times, and I've seen really good results with it. I see there is a lot of community interest in that, um, but still haven't been personally involved with many production deployments. I know that other, other people at Percona have that kind of experience. I personally haven't had it yet. But uh, according also to the forums uh, in Percona, there is a, a really a lot of interest. Most of the forum talk that has been going on in the last uh, couple of weeks has been related to the operator. So definitely that's uh, the way to go, I think. Okay. And so let me ask you this, and this will be our final thought for the day. You know, as you look out at the open source ecosystem, you look at the new technology landscape, what are some of the technologies and the things you're, you're seeing out there that get you excited, that you're really looking at like, wow, this is something interesting. I either want to learn it or I want to use it more, or you maybe you use it already, but it's something that you would like to recommend to other folks as something to take a look at. Well, um, I mean, I'm going to repeat myself here, but again, the Kubernetes is all around uh, the place now. Like everybody's talking about it or implementing something in Kubernetes. So I think it's, it's the key concept to, to embrace for, for the next couple of years. Um, 
even if we are not uh, means like we're supposed to be DBAs or consultants, right? Working with databases, but uh, Kubernetes is, is going to be a topic, whether we like it or not. So it's better to start working with it. The sooner, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ivan, thanks for stopping by, sharing a little bit about your background in the MongoDB ecosystem, some of the things going on. Um, I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't already, uh, check out Percona Live. Ivan's going to be speaking there. He has two talks. Uh, I will be there doing podcasts, live streams, and all kinds of other fun things. So we would encourage you to come out to Austin uh, if you're in the area. Um, you can take a look at uh, you know the, the conference. It is scheduled uh, right now for... Um, Monday, the 16th, uh, Tuesday, the 17th, and Wednesday, the 18th of May. Uh, it is going to be awesome. There's going to be Mongo content, MySQL content, MariaDB, uh, Postgres. There's all kinds of Kubernetes. We've talked about Kubernetes. There's some security topics, something for everyone in the data space. So we would encourage you to come out. But Ivan, thanks for swinging by. Um, and we really look forward to hearing your talks at Percona Live. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.